Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad continues in his sermon series titled Counter Culture as he speaks about how to spot false teaching so that we are not duped or deceived. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. We're going to dive right in because we have a lot of teaching to get through. And uh, so we have been in a sermon series called Counterculture, Speaking the Truth in Love. And we've been in this for many weeks now. And we've touched on a lot of very sensitive subjects and topics that many people avoid. Today is another one. Okay, so it just keeps on coming, doesn't it? But the Word of God just has so much to say about so much of the thing, everything, in fact, that we face. And I think and I hope and know and trust that you've seen that in God's Word over these past few months. On every single topic, every single issue, there is truth to be found that will lead you and guide you the right way. Today is no different with the topic, the name of the sermon being Beware of Wolves. Beware of wolves. And what we're going to be looking at today is the topic and the the thing that we face in our culture of false teaching and false teachers, because there's a lot of them. All right. So that's what we'll be looking at today. And we know throughout history that there's been some pretty deadly epidemics that have ravaged mankind and caused a lot of pain, destruction, and even death. We know through the 14th century, you had the the Black Death, the the bubonic plague, right, where it was untreatable and people were just dying. And even in our society and even through America, through the past 120 years, we've faced things like the Spanish flu and polio and and HIV AIDS and H1N1 and now COVID-19. And we've seen the, the fear and the destruction that a lot of these diseases can cause. So we've witnessed this. But even more deadly than these diseases is the plague of false teaching and false doctrine and false teachers that has affected and afflicted the church of the world and especially in America. You see, because while illnesses can kill the body, falling and being deceived by false teaching will kill the soul for eternity and separate you from a holy God who wants to be with you and for you to be in his presence for eternity. When you look at diseases, scientists study the pathology of a disease so they can better equip themselves so that they can recognize the virus, know how it starts, and then how to combat it. Guys, I want to tell you today, That every follower of Jesus Christ, and especially every minister of the gospel, needs to be a spiritual pathologist toward false doctrine. We need to know what this virus looks like. We need to know how it acts, how it manifests itself, how it hides, and then how to combat it, to expose it. Because we want to heed the warning from Scripture that we're going to read here in a little bit. We need to beware of wolves because they're out there. And what we're going to see is they're not easy to find because they're hidden. So today we need to learn how to recognize these wolves, these false teachers, this false doctrine, if you will. Because again, our battle's not against flesh and blood, so let's not get the wrong idea today. Our battle's not against a person. It's against an enemy who seeks to destroy, to tear down the church, to tear down the gospel, to move people away from the truth, farther away from the word of God, to move more into worldliness inside the church. And we've seen that over the past few decades because of false teaching and false doctrine. So we're going to learn how to spot a wolf today from the Bible and then know how that we can combat it and overcome it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, today we lift your name up high. Lord, we thank you for the cross. Lord, for your gift of your son that we are soon to celebrate 
this Christmas. But Lord, then not just the gift of having your son 100% God, 100% man, the God-man living on this earth, but Lord, then to lay down his life out of love for us. And Lord, he most clearly stated that no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. So Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you as such for the gift of your word, Lord, because we cannot separate you from your word, for your word is truth, your word is hope, your word is life. So Lord, I pray today that you would speak through your word as we look at a, a subject that's still very sensitive in, in our culture as, as we look at different doctrines and people who push them out. And Lord, we look to expose and shine the light on this wolves, these false doctrine givers. Lord, that not that anybody would be condemned by us, but that, Lord, they would be exposed so that the truth and only the truth could go forth because, Lord, you said the truth, when you know it, it'll set you free. So, Lord, I pray that people will be set free today from the wolves and the grip of false doctrine. Lord, that they would see and hear only you and give and bring you glory for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, turn with me if you have a copy of God's Word to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 7, and we're going to hear directly from the words of Jesus today. Those of you that are new, you can see that this is still a tent, right? It's the only place you can go to church and the roof moves. Pretty cool, all right? So just enjoy it and a little flap in the wind and all that, so don't let it bother you. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to be in verses 15 through 20, all right? Let's read Jesus' words here because they're very, very specific. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. All right, are you ready? There's some wolves out there. So let's learn how we point them out and move past them to combat them and defeat them so that they're not successful in tearing down the gospel and moving souls and hearts away from Christ. That's the issue. That's why it's so important. So we're going to see from Scripture, from this passage and then from other Scripture, four things today that we can definitively say about false prophets, false teaching, false teachers. Are you ready? One, the first one's very obvious. There are false prophets, false teachers in our world. There are. Not everybody who calls themselves a pastor and stands up on a stage behind a pulpit or even has a successful TV ministry and writes books is a man of God. Can we go ahead and say that? We just get that clear and everybody on the same page. There are false prophets out there. I don't care how popular they are. I don't care how well-spoken they are. It does not matter. Not everybody is a man of God. All right? There are false prophets out there. Jesus right there, right off the bat, beware. He wouldn't say beware if there wasn't danger either. There's extreme danger in beware. You put a sign up that says beware of dogs, right? And some people do that now and don't even have a dog, right? But that's not the case. It's beware of dog because there is, there's a wolf out there and they're hidden. So even Jesus, again, if you look further through Matthew, we don't have time to read every passage that, that is alluded to this, but I'll briefly mention a lot of them. Matthew 24, Jesus speaking to his disciples. His disciples asked him, Lord, tell us, what is a sign of the end of the age? How will we know? What were Jesus' first words? Be careful that no one deceives you. Religious deception would be one of the number one signs that we're getting closer to the end. And oh, how we see religious deception with worldliness now accepted and even glorified in the church. 
and people deviating away from the truth of God's word, still hanging on to bits and pieces because they love the the mercy and the grace part of Jesus and who he is and and salvation. We love that stuff, but holiness and godliness and, and spiritual discipline, no, we don't want that because we want to have our sin in Jesus too. That's what the world wants. So we've deviated to false doctrine. Jesus said that would be the number one sign at the end of the age. He went on to explain through Matthew 24, if you read, that as these times grow, that false teachers would arise and deceive many. And there would be tribulation like the world has never seen toward the end. And the days would have to be cut short because if they didn't, the deception and the tribulation would be so great that nobody would be saved. I want you to think about that. That's what's coming But the days were cut short so that even the elect could be saved. That's Jesus' words. This is serious business. So many, it would be going to be so bad that even people who think they have Christ would be deceived into a false doctrine and walk away. That's, That's huge. So we see there inside of this false doctrine, these false teachers, there's an external cause, all right? There's a false teaching through satanic deception. There's an enemy who wants to deceive, okay? And he's at the heart of it. But then there's also an internal cause that's the depraved heart of man that receives this false doctrine and denies God's truth and God's word because of pride in their heart. Because they want their sin in Jesus too also, ultimately. They want fame. They want notoriety. They want money. They want to be the number one author. They want to have the biggest megachurch in the United States. There is deceptive depravity in the heart of man that's an internal cause as well. Satan's deception, man's evil heart, leads to what we're fighting right here and Jesus is talking about today. So the second truth after the first one, we know there's false prophets out there. Second one is these false prophets are dangerous and they're concealed and hidden. They're dangerous, concealed, and hidden. They're hard to pick out. And what does Jesus say here? Well, how does he allude to this? After saying beware, he says, because they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. They, I want you to, th- can we ponder that for just a minute? Because we read that so much time, you just blow right by it. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Everything about them from the outside looks legit. That's why so many people you'll find, even claim followers of Christ, will come to the support of these false teachers that we're going to, Eventually point out here toward the end, some of them, we don't have time to do it all and say everything, but we're, we're going to do what Scripture says and expose some. But that's why you'll find so many people run to their, to their support because everything from the outside looks great. It's like, man, what are you talking about? People are getting saved in their ministry. People are getting baptized. Is that spiritual success? Not in God's eyes. Not numbers. Not numbers, truth, heart, discipleship, the word of God. That brings true salvation, true baptism. Not through a a false Jesus, a false doctrine where people think they, they, they are saved, where people think they understand who Jesus is, or maybe they have a head knowledge of Jesus, but they haven't, through the false teaching, been moved toward repentance because nobody preaches about repentance anymore. They give everybody a head knowledge of Jesus and his grace and his mercy, but they tell nobody how to receive it. And that's to deny yourself, to turn from your sin to a holy God and fall on your knees and cry holy to him and say, I have messed it up and I'm a sinner in need of you, Lord, my Savior. Would you come and work in my heart because I'm tired of doing life on my own. And I want to surrender my will to your will now. That's true salvation. And it's only found there. But I hear so many pastors when they go through the salvation just saying, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Say the prayer and you're good. Because there's scripture in that. But there's only partial truth in that. You see, that's the danger of cherry picking and just taking a verse out of the Bible. Romans 10, 13 13 says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you took that verse by itself, that means that every single person that just says, Jesus, I believe you're Lord, amen, 
is saved. Is that all? No, because there's a Romans 10, 9 and 10. This says with your, you're going to confess with your mouth, but it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. There's a Matthew 7, 21 and 23. Jesus' own words. He said, not everyone who calls me Lord is going to enter my kingdom. So which is it? Is it Romans 10, 13? Or is it Matthew 7, 21? It's both. Because there's something deeper to Romans 10, 13 than just words. And that's what Jesus alluded to in Matthew chapter 7. Man, this is huge. This is great stuff because the word of God just brings truth to a subject where so many people are deceived. So these wolves are dangerous. They're hidden. We're not going to recognize them very easily. We're going to have to look underneath. Do you see that? You're going to have to look underneath the surface to recognize a wolf. You're going to have to dig deeper than their popular little podcast sermons that you get on your social media. You're going to have to dig deeper than that because it's going to look great from there. It's going to look spot on from right there. But when you dig deeper into theology and what they believe and the things they say, oh boy. And you can say, well, Brad, but it's, if they say 95% truth and just that little 5% is wrong, what's the big deal with that? So let me ask that question back to you. What is the big deal with that? Is almost true good enough? If I told you a partial truth, did I just lie to you? So if I'm preaching the Bible, but I don't preach all of the Bible, am I lying to you? You see, there's a lot of people out there that's preaching the Bible, but they're not preaching the whole Bible. And therefore is the problem. Because they don't want to preach the whole Bible because they when they get to the really hard stuff, people start to walk out of the church. And they don't want that because that affects the pocketbook too much. That affects the church budget. We can't have all the bling and stuff. So we're not going to preach that stuff. But that's the world we live in. They clothe themselves as a sheep, but inside... Is danger. They'll speak the language. They'll perform the signs and wonders and miracles. And wow, they'll draw large crowds and be popular. They'll be loved and liked by the world. Luke chapter 6, verse 26, another passage after the Beatitudes in Luke's account. After the Beatitudes were said, blessed are those who mourn and this, that, and the other. We know the Beatitudes. Afterwards, he gives some woes in Luke chapter 6, Jesus speaking. And he says, woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. That's Jesus' words. The false prophets were loved. They were popular, spoken well of. Do you see that today as well? I think you will by the time we're at the end. And that doesn't mean, let me get this straight. Not everybody that's popular is not a false prophet, all right? And not everybody that's not popular is legit, okay? So let's just get that clear, first and foremost, as we go on. But what comes out is what's underneath is what we're looking for, all right? So what we're looking for and what we're looking at is not just the obvious cults and the obvious false teachers that are out there. Because when everybody sees that, especially anybody that knows anything about the Word of God, and you see that, you run automatically, okay? There is obvious deception and false doctrine out there that everybody just runs from. And unfortunately, some people still fall for it. You got people out there that still believe in tarot cards and all this kind of stars and astrology stuff and everything and bringing in. That is false teaching, false doctrine. That is satanic, actually, Okay? You need to stay away from that stuff. And anybody who supports or looks at that stuff. All right? But then there's the obvious, the people who just blatantly say, well, you know, I, I'm believing in, in, in Buddha or some other false god. We know those false teachers and fo- false doctrines. That, that's so far off, the, uh, off the, the list from what is being talked about here. Okay? We're talking about the ones that have what seems like everything going, but there's some falsehood in their doctrine. Those are the scary ones, okay? Those are the scary ones. Those are the ones that have the poison of a lie wrapped up in the sweet-smelling 
attractive, superficial surface of some truth. And they're going to throw it to you. Because it's truth on the outside. Yeah, I'll take some of that, that grace, that mercy, that love. I want it. But inside, there's a lie where you don't get what you really want. You don't get what they're really trying to push at you. So how do we know them? What do we do? How do we uncover this stuff? Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 12 to 15. I want to first point out what, what Paul spoke to the people at Corinth who also had false doctrine, false teachers coming in and trying to deceive them in so many ways at the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 12 to 15 says this. Paul says, but what I do... I will also continue to do, all right, you ready? I'm going to continue to do this, you ready? What is it? That I may cut off the opportunity, circle that or highlight that in your Bible, cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, you ready for this? For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Some deep stuff right there, isn't it? Even Satan presents himself as an angel of light, of something attractive, of something that looks like truth, so that we grab for it, so that we fall for it. And therefore, Paul said, Through the Holy Spirit, his ministers are going to do the same. We have to catch that. So, how do we diagnose it? Where do we look? How do we look at this pathology? Let's go deeper. Because Paul taught Timothy something about how to recognize this satanic darkness when it's masquerading as light. Okay? So he's going to describe some symptoms here and some key things to look for in false teaching in 1 Timothy chapter 6, turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. And Paul tells Timothy this, led by the Holy Spirit. If anyone teaches otherwise, all right, he's just come off this passage earlier speaking of true doctrine and the word of God and the gospel and the true gospel. Now he alludes this. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness... He is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Highlight that right there. Who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Then what does the Bible say? From such withdraw yourself. That's a command. A.K.A. run. Oh, you mean leave the church? Yes. Absolutely. Don't listen to their podcast anymore. Yes. Don't recommend them to somebody else. Yes. Got it? From such withdraw yourself. So let's look at this, because this is huge. One, we're going to look at three that's in this passage. You could almost argue argue what a red flag, but not a definitive factor, is people's popularness, okay? If they're um, not scorned by the world, but loved by the world, that should be a big red flag to anybody, okay? That should be a huge red flag. If they're accepted and loved by people who are not solid in their walk and in their faith, Huge red flag. But let's look definitively in this passage. Number one, the first symptom of false teachers is that they affirm a false doctrine. They affirm a different doctrine, if you will, than the gospel, than what the Bible says. All right? And this false teaching could take many forms. It could deny God's existence. That would be very obvious. Okay? But we're looking at the the more hidden ones. Okay? So they could teach error about his nature or his attributes. They could deny the Trinity or, or or what we'll see later, even miss, have a misunderstanding and a misrepresentation in their teaching of who the Trinity is, all right? It's a false gospel. They'll have error about who Christ is and, and how his uh, works were manifested. 
on earth. They will deny his virgin birth. They will um, deny his sinless perfection. They will deny that he was God. All right? A lot of things where they could deviate. But they can also have an error and teach error about the nature and the person and the work of the Holy Spirit and how his gifts are truly manifested in your life today. There can be false teaching in that. There could be another strain of this disease of false teaching that denies the authenticity, the inspiration, and the authority of Scripture. That's huge. And even if you just deny part of it, you might as well deny all of it. Can I just go ahead and say that? We've talked about so many times through this sermon series, you cannot separate Jesus from his word. You cannot do it. Jesus is just as much the author of Genesis as he is the red letters in your New Testament. You have to understand that and believe that. You therefore cannot separate him from his word. Now, there are some differences that we talked about when you go through Levitical law and Mosaic law and all that kind of stuff where we, you have different stuff that you have the, the basically moral law that carries through, but then you also have the, the, the civil law and the basically law that they kept just for that time. And so we have to separate that. But the law is the law. Jesus didn't come and break the law. He came to fulfill it, he said. All right? So, and that's the moral law and everything that he's talking about. So let's look deeper at this. So we know they're going to affirm a false doctrine. All right? And it's going to be scary because, like we said, it's going to have 90 to 95% truth and just a little bit of lie. These are the ones we're talking about. Maybe even 99% truth and 1% lie. That's what we're looking at, guys. Number two. Paul says in this passage that these false teachers, all right, they're not only going to affirm false doctrine, but they're going to not agree or deny true doctrine. They're not going to agree with what it says here, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. What are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ that we just said? All of this, okay? They're not going to agree with all of this. They're going to deviate from some of this. Not, not all of it, just some. It's got like a cafeteria-style Christianity, if you will. Well, I'll take some of that, and I want some of this, but now that doesn't fit me. I'll tell, I don't want that, right? That's, what the, that's what's happening here. So at the same time they affirm false teaching, they deny sound doctrine from the Lord, all right? They're not in agreement with the spiritual, wholesome, beneficial word of God, in its entirety, just partiality, all right? That's where we need to pay attention to sound, healthy doctrine. That's why we need to know what God's word says, all right? So these false teachers we know are not committed entirely to Scripture. They're not. They may speak of Jesus and the Father in the heart of their ministry, okay, but they will not be completely about the word of God. Many of these false teachers will never expositionally teach the Bible. What does that mean? They won't go verse by verse through a book of the Bible. They will not do it. They will topical preach only so that they don't have to hit the tough issues. Okay? There should be a, it doesn't have to be a red flag, but it, it, it can be. If that's all you do, and I'm not saying that's all wrong for those pastors out there that do that, okay, that's not all wrong. We're in a topical series right now, if you haven't noticed, okay? But if you never are willing to, to dig down and expositionally preach through the word of God, there is a big red flag right there because there are parts of the word that you don't want to preach, that you don't stand with, that you're, or, or, or you're what I call a pulpit pansy. That means you're too scared to say it. All right? And that's huge today. So we need to pay attention to this doctrine that's repeated all through God's word. All right? Because they're not about God's word. Many of them will add to it, take away from it, interpret it in some heretical fashion. Most of all, they'll give a lot of opinion. They might read one little quick verse, and then the rest of it is story time, baby telling stories about the family and the kids and the, and the past and the college days and the years and giving all kinds of examples and they'll throw some cool funny jokes in and everybody just had a great time in church today but nobody got fed the word of God. Yeah. 
It's sugar-coated, watered-down gospel preaching, and it attracts the masses, but it leads nobody to repentance and nobody to true discipleship and sanctification through the Spirit of God. That's what happens. It's false teaching. It's partiality. Number three, Paul alludes to here. Third symptom of false teachers, all right, is their rejection of doctrine conforming to godliness, all right? You saw it right there. Suppose that he says this, that after they will even um, come against or not support the word of Christ and the doctrine which accords with godliness. You won't hear anything about repentance. You won't hear anything about the depravity of man and, wanting, and needing the spirit of God to turn us from our sinful nature. And please don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about legalism here because there's a lot of legalistic preaching as well that's also false teaching. Okay, that's not what we're after. We're after divinely inspired, word of God, Holy Spirit-led preaching that changes hearts and lives. Okay? That God does that. And he does it through his word and his truth. All right? So... They're not for the sound doctrine, Paul tells Timothy. It's the ultimate test of any teaching is if it produces godliness, if it pushes people toward godliness. That is some of the ultimate teaching that you can say, does this point people this direction? If not, I got a red flag. If you attend a church for six months and you never hear a word about repentance, I mean, I'm not just saying the word. I'm talking about definitive, what it looks like to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. There's a big problem, huge problem. If they're not speaking on sin and and even addressing, even impartiality, some of what we've gone in depth in for the past few months, if they're not even addressing it in partiality, there's a huge problem. Huge. Because they're allowing Satan to run through the hearts and lives of people because many people don't know the truth. And that's the big problem. One of the symptoms inside this rejection of doctrine from form to godliness, the heart of it is pride. Did you see that? After he says that they um, don't stand with doctrine according with godliness, they said he is proud. It's pride in their heart to want to do life their way and not God's way, to preach their way and not God's way, because God's way won't bring 45,000 people to church where you have to fill up a big basketball arena. Might cut it down to 4,500. You see, it's pride. He's proud. Instead of godliness, false teachers, their life, their preaching will be characterized by people who are deceived still by sin, by an enemy. John MacArthur, a quote here from him, says the attitude of false teachers can be summed up in one word, pride. This passage alludes to that. It takes an immense ego to place oneself as judge of the Bible. Such egotism blatantly usurps the place of God. It's a dangerous position to be in. And there's a lot of people out there, even very educated people, theologians with lots of alphabet soup behind their name with degrees, all right? We went through this sermon a couple weeks ago on alcohol. You'd be surprised some of the theologians that are out there that are so deceived in their own understanding And one so arrogantly, when presented with a lot of the information that I gave a couple weeks ago that pointed to truth of Scripture and the truth of the documented time of the day from the Jewish Encyclopedia and everything we went through, one of them, when presented, when somebody said, hey, I'll give you this information, have you seen this? He said, no, I have not seen it, but it wouldn't change my mind anyway. Oh, no, he didn't. And this was a theologian that people were blogging and asking Theological questions too. Filled with pride in his heart where he didn't even want to hear truth because he already had it made up in his mind. He wanted to justify his own worldliness because he wanted to keep throwing it down, baby. I don't want anything to step on my toes for that. Or that would come against what I've preached for 20 years. I would have to go back and say I was wrong. And Lord knows a prideful person doesn't want to say they were wrong, do they? So pride sets up one's own teaching as superior to the word of God. It's the epitome of arrogance, okay? And that's what comes from it. 
So how can we identify them now? We have characteristics, so we know a little bit about this. How do we expose it? How do we know then? That's so huge, especially if they're so hard to find, if they're going to be wrapped in sheep's clothing. How do we look underneath? Why is it so difficult for so many people to recognize them and so easily for a lot of people to still support them? It's because most people don't know the Word of God. Not like they should. They know a little bit, but they don't know a lot. And let's make this very clear. You and I will never be able to identify or expose a false teacher if we do not know the word of God. Can't do it. You need to be a student of the word. You need to know what God's word says. Completely, totally, entirely. Does that mean you have to have it all memorized? No. Do you need to know what the sound doctrine core beliefs are and be able to understand and refute them biblically with somebody who comes the opposite direction? Absolutely, you should. Absolutely. Does that happen all at once if you're a new follower of Christ? No, it doesn't. Okay? But we need to grow. 1 Peter 2 talks about how that we should crave pure spiritual milk so that we can grow. But that's, that's just the start. At some point, you got to come off the milk, baby. you got to get you some steak. If you just stay on the milk, you're just going to go with the fluff preaching. Because that's all you know. And it sounds 100% to you. That's why you don't recognize the, the little deviation that takes place. Man, Rick Kennedy, one of the elders here, always sends me a, an encouraging scripture every day, man. And, and, and he hit on this yesterday, I believe it was, when he shared something. And I told him I was going to share what he wrote me and give him credit for it. Because what he shared was spot on. And he shared with me the verse out of Hebrews 5, verse 13 and 14. It says this. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unacquainted with the word of righteousness. For he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. You don't think that was Holy Spirit divine just put on. Let me read what he wrote. He said, I came across this verse, and it made me think of this analogy. We just had Thanksgiving, and everyone feasted on all kinds of great food. Imagine showing up to the big dinner and all you were served and given is a glass of milk for your meal. Sounds super weird and strange, doesn't it? Yet many people who claim Jesus are consuming only, spiritual, only milk spiritually. You need to train yourself and study God's word. It is our responsibility to grow and become strong spiritually on taking in God's solid food. My prayer today for you is that you advance your spiritual diet from milk to God's solid food. That's beautiful, isn't it? Spot on. Thank you, Rick. That's good stuff right there. That's why we can't point out these wolves in sheep's clothing. Because we're just down in the milk. And we never move through the word of God and truly know and understand the doctrine and theology behind everything. So we can't point them out. That's why we so easily support them. It's because we don't know what they're saying is wrong. And when they say what's wrong, that's the big problem. John 10, 3 through 5, Jesus' words again said, Most surely I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice, yet they will by no means follow a stranger. I want to read that again. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Do you know the voice of Jesus? Do you know the voice of Jesus? Do you know the voice of Jesus? Or do you, or have you been susceptible to following a stranger? His sheep know his voice, and they will by no means follow a stranger. 
It's God's word. It's beautiful. Why? Why is that so important? Because Jesus will call it down later, John 10, 10, because there's an enemy, the devil. He's the thief, and he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's why it's so important. There's an enemy wanting to take you down, to deceive you, to take you out. And the best thing he can do is to bring somebody into one of these fluff preaching churches that don't preach the gospel like it should be preached and make them think they're saved and have something they don't really have. And then one day they hear, depart from me, I never knew you. That's his goal. That's why he loves false teaching. That's why he loves partial, partial preaching. Because it never gets to the root of salvation. It never leads somebody to sanctification where they live through the Spirit of God, a life that exudes Christ, where other people can see Christ in them. That's, what the, that's the opposite of what the enemy wants. That's why he loves a preacher that don't preach the Word. Because nobody's going to live a life that exudes Christ that way. It won't happen. Because let's be clear, discipleship doesn't happen here, okay? But discipleship starts right here. It's completed and finished in pods and groups and doing life together and having mentorship and accountability, life groups, all right? You need to be a part of one, Bible studies. You need to get in it, okay? That's where you're grown and strengthened. But make no mistake, discipleship starts right here. It doesn't end here, but it does start right here, and that's a lot of the problem in the pulpits across America is nobody's preaching toward discipleship. You can't when you sugarcoat everything. Even a true believer can fall into deception of a false prophet if they're not careful, all right? First, if you don't know the word of God, but then you, get, you fall for what I call the bling trap, right? The, the newest movement and the newest fad and the newest preacher and, 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 the, and the big fancy lights and the smoke show and, and the entertainment and woo-hoo! Are we at a concert or are we at church? If I want to go to a concert, I can buy a ticket. I don't need that on Sunday. But we fall for an entertainment culture, man. And behind it is deceptive, sugar-coated preaching that never leads people toward true repentance. Number three, as I move along, because I've stuck too long on some of this, from our passage in Matthew 7, we know that the false prophets, they bear bad fruit. And let's just say this. This bad fruit has nothing to do with the size of their ministry or they're following, has nothing to do with that, okay? That's not how you say, well, that's good fruit, everybody's going there. Or that's bad fruit because that guy's only got 10 people in his church out in the county. That does not mean anything. Let me tell you what, success spiritually in ministry is not a number, it's faithful labor, okay? Being faithful to the word of God. Doesn't matter whether you have 45,000 or 45. Are you being faithful and preaching the word of God like it should be preached? Are you discipling people, all right? Bad fruit or good fruit doesn't even mean that some people are getting saved, all right? Because the Bible says God's word will never return void. Remember, they're preaching impartiality, some of it. His word is never going to return void. Some people can find Christ inside of that. But if they stick in that teaching, they will never truly be walked through discipleship and sanctification. There's the danger in so many people staying on that spiritual milk and not advancing to the solid food of God. So what are the bad fruits? Two things really quick, teaching and their living. I think we've gone through the teaching enough, partial truth, twisted theology, no stance on hard issues, self-glorifying teaching. All right, what is that? Speaking things as if they hear from God stuff that nobody else hears. Oh no, uh-uh. Putting yourself on a pedestal like you're the, I'm the apostle prophet person and I hear directly from God let me tell you what we are no longer in the age or era where we're receiving prophecy from God anymore that's done here it is okay what you hear or what you think you hear better line up completely and totally with this because if it doesn't you're a liar all right and let's just say this real quick do you need one specific person to hear from God something that God wants to tell you do you need that I'm not saying that God can't speak through people or use people or or wise counsel. That's not what I'm saying. But do you need one person to hear from God? 
No, so many people are deceived in an apostolic movement that have to go to somebody to hear from what the Lord wants. That is so close to witchcraft, it's scary. Can I just go ahead and say that? So anybody that points to themselves as you got to come to me to hear from what God wants to tell you, liar. Because if you're in Christ, you have the same Holy Spirit that that person should have that should be speaking to you through this word. You don't need a person, okay? Or they point to themselves as the only one they can heal through their touch or exercise the demons, right? You have the same power and authority in Christ that they do. Wake up, church. It's self-glorifying preaching and teaching, and so many people are deceived and falling for it. Their life, big one. Are they persecuted for the faith, or are they loved by the world? Paul told Timothy again, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 7 through 17. I'm going to read that really quick for us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 7 through 17 says this. After talking about what we know, in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves and blasphemous and disobedient. They'll have a form of godliness, but deny its power and all that. It says, from such people, stay away. Listen to this. It says, always learning. These people, in general, they're always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as John Ez and John Brez resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will manifest to all as theirs also was. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, which is the doctrine of Christ, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconia, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and I, and I, and all, sorry, who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Highlight that in your Bible. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine to reproof, correct, to instruct in righteousness. And the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Doesn't get much clearer than that, does it, church? That's huge. What is the manifested through the life? Are they persecuted for the faith or are they glorified by the world? Huge red flag right there, all right? What's another focus? We read this in the first Timothy passage in chapter six before in verse five, where it says that they use the godliness to try to find gain. Remember I asked you to kind of highlight that or note that? So there's a money focus. There's greed in their heart, all right? Plain and simple. The Bible, when it gives clearly the qualifications of a pastor and an elder, says they cannot be greedy. They cannot desire money. You are disqualified if money is your goal and your source. Disqualified. Why? Because Jesus spoke a lot about that. said, no, you can't serve two masters. You got money on your heart. It's going to lead you away from me. He even told the rich young ruler that. The rich young ruler, remember, couldn't give up his wealth and possessions to follow Jesus. He did everything else right. He knew Jesus was Lord. He had followed some of the Ten Commandments. He had kept every one of them. Jesus said, then give all you have and come follow me. And he couldn't do it, the Bible says, because why? Did Jesus want his money? Absolutely not. He wanted his what? His heart. And his heart was in his money. And he couldn't follow Jesus. Even though he knew he was God and was a great man, he couldn't give his heart to Jesus. There's a salvation message. Can you give your heart and life to Christ today? Have you done that? So the spiritual condition of false teachers is critical. It's apostasy. Number four, our last one, as we look to close really quickly. We must be ready to test and expose false prophets. And false teaching. We must, there's a spiritual truth, we must be ready to test and expose false teaching and false prophets, or none of this matters. Can I, just, can I just go ahead and say that? If you and I aren't willing to boldly step out and expose them, 
none of this just matters because we're just letting Satan do his thing. If you're a spiritually mature in Christ, you need to speak up when you hear and see false doctrine. That does not mean we're condemning that person. Can I get that clear? We are not to condemn. We are not condemning a person. We're not trying to say that person is saved or not, okay? That's, that's Christ that's going to determine that and knows that because he knows their heart. But our job is to expose the false doctrine and teaching. We have to do it. So we're not condemning them. We're not throwing stones in judgment. We're not being judgmental, but we are judging the fruits. You can be a fruit inspector. We're commanded to be, and we're commanded to expose it. You say, prove it, Brad, gladly, because it's not my opinion. You ready? 1 John 4, 1 through 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of, of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So we got to be ready to test. And it gives a, a list there. But that's not the only test, Right? Because that's the core sound doctrine that Jesus is the son of God or not. Obviously, you deviate from that. You're definitely a false teacher. But there's some people that would still say Jesus is the son of God and have false doctrine and don't believe the whole word of God. So that's not the only test. We don't have time to read it, but you can go back later and read Acts chapter 7, verse 10 through 11. And, and the Bible's talking about the Bereans who were more spiritual, almost the Bible says, because what they did... They searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. This was Paul. And they still didn't take his word for it. They wanted to go back and see and make sure that what he said lined up with God's word. And that's what you and I should do. And that includes this pulpit right here. Don't believe something just because I say it or said it. That's one reason I don't give my opinion. Okay, I'm only going to preach God's word and definitively. But hey, nobody ever has perfect theology and understanding because I'm a man, you're a man. Even the greatest theologian is just a man, all right? So we have to, to look solely and, and completely at the scriptures to test and see. We have to dig in the word. It goes back to you have to know what the word of God says. How else? What do you mean, all right? So we know we should test and be ready, but how, what do you mean expose? Look at Ephesians chapter five, verses six through 14. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, you ready to highlight, but rather expose them. Command. Have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. There's a beautiful part right there. Arise, awake. When does a wolf attack the sheep most times? At night, when they're sleeping. And Jesus just brought it all back through his word, through Paul and the Ephesians, and said, Awake those of you who sleep and arise, and God will give you the light you need to expose the wolf in sheep's clothing so that you can expose them. So it would be wrong for me to end right here, which I could. We've heard God's word, but now it would be, are there some false teachers that need to be brought out that, that I've found knowledge of? Absolutely. Should I share them with you? Biblically, absolutely. Really quick, if you guys are good, let's go, all right? Because the wolf attacks at night and we need to know, I'm going to play some videos real quick. These videos will be about six minutes worth, and then we'll bring it to a close here with a couple things as well. So first, I'm going to bring to you a few very popular, famous teachers, okay, that have some other false doctrine. But when you talk about and look about certain things, topics in Scripture, if you don't align yourself with God's Word completely and wholly in every subject, you are a what? You're wrong. You're a false teacher, okay? So we're going to show a clip of some people who have the wrong idea on the topic that we discussed 
weeks ago in homosexuality. And in fact, we confronted with the question, they cower down, pulpit pansy, right? And they're not willing to stand on the truth of God's word and make a stance. You'll recognize the first two. You'll recognize Brother Joel Osteen, and you'll recognize T.D. Jakes, okay? Both of which preach a prosperity gospel, which is wrong in itself, that basically says if you're saved, you should be rich. If you're saved, you should be healthy. You, if you have cancer sick and dying and you don't get healed from it, that means you weren't spiritual enough, all right? That's a prosperity gospel. Let me make it very plain and simple. Being rich doesn't mean you're not saved, but being rich doesn't mean you're saved. Being poor doesn't mean you're saved. Being poor doesn't mean you're not saved. It has nothing to do with it. So, what do we do? Is almost true good enough? There's so many people that are almost 100% true, and then there's a little deviation. We could go on and on. I'll really quickly, talking about music, Bill Johnson, we already talked about Carl Lentz, one of the lead pastors at Hillsong. He's now removed because he um, committed adultery on his wife. Go figure. But otherwise, Bill Johnson, lead pastor of Bethel Music, Bethel Church, maybe you've heard of them, is a false teacher with a lot of false doctrine. He could be called the father of the modern day uh, movement called the uh, New Apostolic uh, Reformation. And they want to export all their teaching across the globe spiritually. And they have some really weird stuff. I'm going to be honest. You can do your own research. I don't have time to go through all of it. They have something called grave sucking, where they believe you can go lay on somebody's grave and receive the anointing and the spiritual stuff from them. Yeah. All right? They have prophetic cards and dancing, fire tunnels, all kinds of weird stuff. They believe a, a spirit of fire moves around their service and stuff. They got some weird stuff, but being weird by itself is just what it is, okay? You're weird, all right? But Bill Johnson goes further in this in explaining some false doctrine that he stands for. Let me read this to you. This is his own words, quote, speaking of Jesus and who Jesus was, ready? He performed miracles, wonders, and signs as a man in a right relationship with God, not as God. If he performed miracles, he was God. Then they would be unattainable for us. But if he performed them as a man, I am responsible to to pursue his lifestyle. That is from the lead pastor of Bethel Church that puts out Bethel music. False teacher. Did you hear that? He couldn't have been God because if he did, that means that then I couldn't perform miracles. Hear the self-uplifting? That's the new apostolic reformation teaching. And they want it to go everywhere. So many people are being deceived. Stephen Furtick associates himself with that new apostolic reformation and the word of faith teaching. All right? He associates himself with it. He believes and teaches modelism which also T.D. Jakes teaches. And and inside the Trinity, okay, which we know is one God manifested in three persons, all right? They are all equally and distinctly and eternally God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? Good on that, all right? They'll have a little partial truth in that with a twist. They believe there's one God, but he's only one person, and he just manifests himself in three different ways. So in other words, when Jesus came to earth, he had to transform from God the Father to God the Son. And that when Jesus died on the cross and ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit came down, he transformed himself into God the Holy Spirit to be here on earth. That's false doctrine, false theology. That's Stephen Furtick's teaching, okay? A little farther. Stephen Furtick says that God broke the law for love. You'll hear him preach and say that. That he broke the law for love than coming to us. Jesus did not break the law. If he did, he was a sinner. Okay? First and foremost. He didn't come to break the law. He came to fulfill it, is what the Bible teaches. And he laid his life down as a ransom for many. All right? He gave his life as the just for the unjust. He did not break the law. He teaches a lot of narcissists type theology, which places self into scripture, all right? 
You don't have time to go into that, but you can look that up. It's, again, a lot of self-edifying kind of teaching where we're like David or we could be like Peter. On the, on the rock, I'm going to build my church. It's Furtick, you're not the rock, all right? And if you go back and you look at that passage, Peter is not what Jesus built his church on. Peter was little rock. And he said, on this rock, I'll build my church. The word changes from Peter's name, which is little rock, to big rock. Who's the big rock? Jesus is who he built his church on, not a man, okay? Following thing, you can see a a recent social media post from Stephen Furtick, and it said this, quote, following Jesus doesn't change you into something else. It reveals who you've been all along. What would it be like to see the you that God sees? When 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, the old is gone, you become a new creation in Christ." Ezekiel 33 says that I'm going to remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to put my spirit in you and give you a new desire to follow my laws. That's biblical sound teaching, not what he just said. We could go on and on. But I think you know. So now we need to get into word. We need to know what sound doctrine says so when we see it, we can refute it. And I'll close with this last passage from Jude talking about what we should do. Should we expose it? What, what, is our, what is our calling as a follower of Christ? Jude, verses three and four, says this. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you, that's commanding you, to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered by, to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness, that's lawlessness, and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, we're to contend for the faith. What does that mean? We're to be ready to stand. That we're to expose, to test and expose and to contend for the faith. It's not condemning. It's not throwing stones to expose these people like we've done here today. It's calling out the heresy and the teaching so that you know and so that you can tell everybody else to avoid that teaching 100%. And we can pray for that person that the Lord would speak to them and change their heart and their theology. But that doesn't mean that we listen to them while we wait for that to hopefully happen. I don't care how good they are. I don't care how many books they wrote. I don't care how much you like them or listened to them in the past. We need to stop. And we need to stop recommending them to other people. Okay? We need to look for the people that are sound on their doctrine and go for that. So the pathology of a false teacher is clear. They deny the truth. Their teaching does not produce godly living. And as a church, we must take extreme care not to follow these men or women and to aid their spiritual disease and help it spread through society. Guys, today I hope you've heard a lot of truth from God's word, and I hope it's really maybe enlightened you to a lot of maybe in ways that you've been deceived. I just told you and admitted I listened to some of these people in a lot of ways and didn't even know a lot of what was there. Wolf in sheep's clothing. They're going to look good on the outside, but underneath the ravenous wolves. We need to call them out and be ready to confront it and contend for the faith. Let's close our eyes and bow our head as we close our service. Maybe you're here today and you would say, Brad, I've been deceived my whole life because I've never received Jesus and made him Lord. I've run from God in so many ways, and I'm still running from him until I got here today, and the Lord has just confronted me with the truth, and I'm tired of running, and I'm ready to surrender my life to him right now today. If that's you, I want to lead you through a prayer from your heart to God's heart. I want you to do business with God and make him Lord of your life. And I want you to know this, that it's not the prayer that saves you. It's not the words, that it's the heart that's ready to receive him and surrender your will to his will, to repent and turn from your sin and follow Christ. If you're ready to do that, I want you to do that today. Or maybe you're here and you say, Brad, I've walked in and out of church doors my whole life, and man, before I'd received Christ, but lately I've been deceived. I've, been, I've walked away. I've drifted, and 
maybe certain ways and I want to come running back today like the prodigal son and come back to eat at my father's house. The Lord's there with open arms and he's ready to receive you. Will you come running back to him? And if that's you, you want to rededicate your life, I want to ask you to pray the same prayer from your heart to God's heart right now. So to receive him for the first time or rededicate your life, to say, dear God, I admit to you right now that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you, my Savior, that I've fallen short of your glory, that I've messed it up, and Lord, that I want to be redeemed and renewed in Christ. Thank you for sending your son Jesus, God in the flesh, to die on the cross that I could have forgiveness of my sin. And thank you for raising him from the grave three days later, proving that he is God, that he wasn't just a man, that he has complete and total victory over hell, death, and the grave. And Lord, I want to complete my life with you. And I want to claim that same victory in my life, Lord, because I need it. So my commitment to you is you have all of me. And I ask you to use my life with every step I take and every breath I take for your glory. In Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer right now and you meant business with God to receive him for the first time or rededicate your life to him, would you boldly and unashamed right now raise your hand and say, Brad, I prayed that prayer. I meant business with God. I'm running to him today. I'm running back to him. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big round of applause for what he continues to do every week through his word and his church. And guys, let's like we tell you every week, let's take this word. Let's go meditate on it. Let's go look at it. Let's go examine the scriptures. Take it home. Look at it. See if everything that was said here today lines up with God's word. Ask the Lord to show you and to shine the light on any wolves and sheep's clothing that maybe you've been listening to, that you've been falling prey to. Because the enemy is at work and he des- deceives many. Number one sign at the end of the times, the Lord said, be careful that no one deceives you. Let's expose the wolves in sheep's clothing and let's shine the light of truth that leads to eternal life. Take this word, Impact. Go grab a friend or a loved one next week. We're going to close this sermon series out next Sunday. Put a big old fancy bow on it with a great message you don't want to miss. So let's take this word this week and go make an impact for Jesus. See you next Sunday. Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ.